Hey everybody, Mike Petchy here. I want to welcome you to the new episode of In Love With The Process. How have you guys been? What's going on? What's new? Uh, this is the first episode that we've done in a while. I have been away hard at work on my latest film called... Uh, I'm not going to tell you yet. I'm not allowed to tell you yet. But uh, if you guys have been following me on uh, Instagram, you have seen some of the posts that I've been doing. Hashtagged something new is coming. And you know that I am working on something fun and scary um, and I can't wait to tell you guys about it. I'm kind of kind of tell you guys about it on this show without actually telling you guys about it because I'm not supposed to get. Um, so basically, it's a new proof of concept horror film. So what is a proof of concept film? Well, stick around and we'll tell you all about that. Um, and I'm thinking about making these next few podcasts as a love letter to my crew and to the city of Boston. This place has never let me down, and I am so proud to be known as a film director from the city. So here's the deal. I'm turning 40 this year and I'm determined not to be one of those assholes talking about hitting the halfway point of his life. <clears throat> but it's hard not to look back and reflect on how life literally is a series of decisions that you're making and then dealing with those decisions. And it's completely the same thing for directing. Directing ultimately is making last minute decisions and people are presenting things to you and then sort of dealing with the consequences of that. Um, and I can't help but think back to when I was graduating from New York Film Academy um, and a bunch of my uh, college buddies had asked me to share a room with them and I was going to stay, potentially stay in New York. And I can't think, can't help but think how my shit would have been different if I had done so. And honestly, I'm happy I didn't. I'm happy that I came here to the city. I'm happy I came back home to do stuff because I don't think I would have directed as much and had my style developed as early as it did. So I'm very happy for that decision. Uh, that being said, let's continue. So on today's episode, special guest, last minute edition, is my good buddy Lance Williams. How's it going, guys? There he is. Uh, Lance has, we've been working together for a while. Lance is an amazing actor that I often <laughs> don't use as an actor on my sets. You just get the head or the hands and the... The foot, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Pull the mic closer to you just so we can hear you. Um, so Lance was, uh, if you guys saw Moped Nights, Lance was the uh, Moped Knight. You were the hero underneath the mo the motorcycle helmet. That sounds so cool, doesn't it? The Moped Knight. The Moped Knight. Yeah, that sounds tough. <laughs> <laughs> I forget how I pitched that to you. I think it was... I don't remember really how you pitched it to me, but it just, it sounded badass. I was like, okay, cool. It sounds good. And they show up and it was, I don't know what I thought when we said moped night and then I saw the moped. I was like, oh, like literally a moped night. Okay, cool. Great. <laughs> like the leader of this underground subcult thing. I dig it. <laughs> and so that was the first time we worked together and um, uh, Lance has worked on 12KM. You were actually... Mm -hmm. The a set of the demon hands that actually yeah. reach around. I think you credited me as shadowy figure. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's, that's really that's the best way to put it. I'm the blur that goes by in some dark hands. <laughs> um, and then uh, you actually have a cameo in this new movie too, or your your shoulder. Yeah, my shoulder does. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm a shoulder and some seams, my corduroy jacket. <laughs> Lance is such a fantastic actor, and I completely un underutilize him. Um, but we'll, we'll work together on something. Yeah, that's going to happen, right? Yeah. And I don't want to ignore uh, Dave. The assistant Dave is back. Hello, Dave. Hey, how's it going? Where have you been? What's going on? Uh, I have been getting ready to graduate and uh, doing a bunch of stuff. Uh, also helping on some of your stuff, too. But yeah, a couple weeks. Graduating. Yeah, pull the mic closer. 
The guys are sharing a mic, so we're going to be moving a mic around today, so deal with it. Um, <clears throat> so graduate, huh? Like, So what is this, uh, fourth year finished? What school did you go to again? I can't remember. Uh, Suffolk. Suffolk University, yeah. Four years. Yeah? Is it, uh, you feel like it's all worth it and you're feeling good about everything? Well, you know, I mean, the, the hundred grand is staring me in the face, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it was it was good. <laughs> it was you started to shake it, you're like, ah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see, I guess. I'm just giving you shit, man. Congratulations, dude. And then, um, so uh, what's next for you? Uh, I don't know. I'm definitely going to take a couple weeks and, you know, kind of mull things over. But, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, got some thinking to do, for sure. Yeah, you're a fantastic editor. You're gonna to try to get into the editing side of things. Do you, you obviously you, after spending all that time and having that beautiful uh, debt staring you down, you're gonna get into this business, right? Well, I, I better because you know <laughs> <laughs> that's what I get it for. But um, yeah, no, I think that would be a pretty good place to start because that's where I got the most experience for sure, um, especially working with you too. Um, so yeah, I think. You know, probably post-production may be a good place to start for me. Nice, man. Nice, nice. And you, uh, have you guys been working on that documentary that you shot in Europe? Yeah, yeah. We're hoping to release that this summer. Uh, probably like mid-June, late uh, late June. Nice, man. Nice, nice, nice. And have you been have you been cutting it? or? Yeah. Yeah, we're getting close. Um, there's a couple. It's tough because it was so much like a piece of time. Um, it sounded weird, but like a, a specific period of time. Um, and things are changing constantly. Uh, so we probably get a little bit more to shoot with that, um, just as sort of like a where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we're getting close. And for those of you who haven't heard that episode, uh, what, what is the uh, film on again? Yeah, so it's a, it's a political documentary about right after the 2016 election, um, instead of focusing on what people here think it's focusing on what people around the world thought about it and kind of their reactions uh to america yeah and, then tr- and trump and the presidency and all that sort you know, of that stuff. was that always came up you know yeah. it was a big part of it i'm just so curious to see what the rest of the world thinks of my president yeah. the president that i voted seriously <laughs> i remember listening to that episode it was so interesting hearing how the the process y'all went through as far as going all the way out to, to other countries and trying to string everything together. You're saying um, that you, um, you're a DP, and then those locations got maybe some of you had to share a car. Yeah. And I was listening, I was like, man, this is it. That's that's the that's the biz right there, right? We get to get down and gritty with it, and you got to go and make it happen, but you get something nice in the end, man. It's so rewarding. Yeah, yeah. It was so many stories, and, um, you know, you can go back and listen to it because we talked about it in depth, but it was, it was definitely gritty. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't very graceful. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so. <clears throat> that's where you learn a lot of the techniques that you use for the rest of your career. Is mm-hmm. doing that early stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times we're in a trouble situation, and I just sort of fall back on that stuff that I did on those gritty days and sleeping on a couch somewhere. That's where you get your ten thousand hours, you know. Yep, that's exactly that's it, it, dude. That's exactly it. So uh, that's a good transition. Let's. Um, so what I want to do, like I said, over the next couple of episodes, I think I really want to talk about. Um, the city of Boston and, and sort of crewing up uh, an indie project and, and getting a new project started because I am fresh in it right now. Um, literally in the final stages of the edit on this new piece, um, about to go do color grading in New York City. We just arranged an oh, wow. amazing color grading session. Um, try to get that scheduled for next week. Um, 
and brought back uh, most of the team, if not most of the team from 12Cam to do this new project. And actually, let me get into that in general. I haven't really been able to talk about either project yet because everything's sort of been in flux. And th those of you who follow me on Instagram who have written to me to ask to see 12KM because I can't release it publicly yet. Um, I've been sending it around to specific folks and getting some really good feedback and really good reviews. Um, and you know what? Fuck it. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what's been going on with that. So I made the short, I don't know, like three years ago, four years ago, time travel, man. Made the short. Uh, and uh, when we finished cutting it, the, the actual full length short is about 30 minutes long. And my concern at that time was that I wanted to get into film festivals and I was worried about what the, uh, the running time was. And so I invited in a few festival programmers um, from, the, from Boston, guy that does the Boston Underground Film Festival, um, <clears throat> and they watched the piece and after watching it, they're like, we love the movie, it's fantastic. I was like, awesome, am I gonna have trouble getting into festivals? They're like, yes, you definitely are. Yeah. And I was like, why? And they're like, because of the 30 minute runtime. Mm -hmm. And my response to that was like, well, what the fuck? Like half of these yeah. film festivals say that they'll take films up to 40 minutes on their admission policies. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, that's true. But the problem is that you're filling usually like an hour, maybe an hour and a half time slot. So if they take a movie that is 30 minutes, they're losing potentially two to three other short films. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's a very rare situation. So I was like, uh, okay. Well, what do you guys think I should cut out of the movie? How do I cut this thing down? They go, don't cut the fucking movie. So I'm like, ah, I guess I'm not getting into film festivals then. Right. You know? And um, so I was really sort of concerned with that because the whole reason of doing uh, 12 kilometers, 12 kilometers, the short was a proof of concept film. Now, you hear me talk about proof of concept all the time. Basically, a proof of concept, you have to show uh, either investors or um, executives uh, your, your talent, your skill. And I can walk into a room and pitch until I turn blue in the face, but especially with, with films, it's such a technique-oriented business that me describing how something works, it still has to get processed through someone else's brain. So they're still putting in their life experiences. They're putting in like what movies they like, what movies they don't like. Uh, there's a huge difference between that and me actually showing them something and then they could see technique, they could see tone, they could see voice, they could see all that stuff. Um, and there's a, a couple of different ways of doing that pitch-wise, at least through Hollywood. There are folks that will put together what they call lookbooks, which usually is like a bunch of inspired images and inspired uh, visuals to sort of set the tone when they're doing a pitch in a room. Or they'll cut together uh, footage from other films and sort of piece these things together to try to give you an idea of what the tone of the piece will be. Uh, there's, there's infamous stories of how like uh, I think I think Joe Carnahan uh, cut stuff together for like a Daredevil that he was gonna do, which was like a 1970s Daredevil, um, which was like a, a bunch of different footage from I think from like Scorsese movies and everything else that he sort of made this That's piece. It's so interesting. I would never imagine that you could create a proof of concept based off of films that were already made. And Some sort people of do mosaic it. something, and, and that that investors or, or, or studios would actually get green light based off something that's so interesting. You know, because I feel like you, while you get a a vision of what this person has in mind, it's, it's got to be drastically different still than when somebody does like what you do, where you, you shoot this proof of concept that mm -hmm. literally exists in the universe of what you want. 
Yeah. It's yeah. got to be like better doing it that way because it's yeah. it's not only just saying this is what I want, but this is what I can also do. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, the problem really is is like whenever you sit down to do a uh, an idea or a treatment, if you don't have the resources, if you don't have the money, if you don't have the time, it's a very difficult thing to do. And then you're you're. I often find that we all sort of live in the same mental state as a as a society where we're all sort of on the same cues. So like when when you have an idea, that idea is usually affected by like what's going on in pop culture, you know, you know what's resonating now, twenty years later. Like everybody's sort of on the same thread. So when you come up with an idea, you, it, you're kind of under the gun, and you're like, mm-hmm. "Fuck, I gotta get this out. I gotta get this out." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I think for a lot of people, it's hard to get that started and to sort of run through that. Um, and that being a proof of concept film. So what I did is something a little bit different. I, I had an idea for what the feature was. I had like an early draft of 12 cam the feature, and I knew that I had to try to sell it to folks. So I decided to take what at the time was just the cold opening of the film, which was like 1980s Russia, bam, and then it shows you know, essentially where this creature comes from. Which is already in itself. It's like just a dope setting, 1980s Russian right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so I, I figured, well, I'll just do a proof of concept. I don't know how I'll pull it off, but I'll do something uh, here in Boston for Russia and in the 1980s. And then after the hell that I had been through previously uh, with a Punisher uh, film that I had done, which was a proof of concept that I was putting together way before... Uh, Netflix and Disney made their deal way before uh, any of that stuff was happening. Um, and I shot a piece with this really great crew, a lot of the same people, really great cast, really beautiful piece that um, Disney ended up coming in and saying that I couldn't release it because he had, you run into the whole copyright thing and the fan fill thing. And I, I was just unlucky at that point because I think that was right when the acquisition was happening with Netflix, mm-hmm. you know, and then they also did a, a Punisher TV show and everything else happened. So... Um, like I dig what they what they've done with the Punisher so far, like Marvel Studios as a whole. But I'm just like, man, can y'all just give Mike a call and just like just let, <laughs> just let him like just keep keep everybody you know keep everybody you got, but just let Mike come in and do his thing. Just, I want to see that as, as a selfish ass fan. I just want to see that episode. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, man. And and at this, it, like I really enjoy watching what they have done too. And mm-hmm. I I still love Marvel, and I still love all that stuff. And I understand. I took a, I took a chance. Uh, by doing a fan film, um, and, and the only reason I had decided to do that was because there were stuff that had come out previously, yeah, and it was right, fine. Right. And I thought it was just a, a good way for them to get attention, or for me to get attention by them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did, and it was it wasn't in the right way. So after doing the Punisher piece, um, I had already sort of pulled that whole team together and said, "Hey, we're going to make something amazing, and the world's going to see it." And then no one could see it, and so. Uh, Going back to do 12 cam, I, I knew that I had to make something that I could at least screen in a theater and bring everybody in mm-hmm. to watch. So I wasn't going to do just like a five-minute proof yeah. of concept. I wanted to do something that was a longer narrative and had a story arc. And so we shot uh, the 30-minute piece. And that's how I came to 30 minutes was was that, which ended up shooting me in the dick at the back end because then I couldn't get it into film festivals. Right. We're having that same issue now with another short, and it's it's we are on the cusp of getting to this um, film, um, Dances with Film in L.A., and they're like, oh, we really love the film. It's really great. We just need to wait now because it's up to programming at this point, which kind of mm-hmm. sucks to even hear that because you, you, what you're essentially telling me is 
whoever's curating this or making decisions to put the short film in says, yes, this is great, let's do it. But someone else has to put the numbers together and make the times match and everything work out. And you, like you, you're sitting there going, oh, man, well, well, don't tell me we got this close then, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about selling tickets for these guys. Yes, absolutely. I mean, like film festivals, there, there are genuinely people that run certain film festivals that care about cinema and they really work for it. And I've met those folks and they're really cool people. Mm. But I think uh, there's a, a good majority, a vast majority of it where it's about selling tickets. It's about mm. filling in those seats. And they want to make sure that they're running the programming that will do so. And that's easy to forget when it comes to festivals because I think we sometimes overlook the fact that at the end of the day it is a theater experience still yes um, and we it's 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 easy to think that it's not this go by the tickets box office type of popcorn experience but mm -hmm. in its essence it, it still is yeah it is man and and <clears throat> so being a young filmmaker and uh waiting or, or, or trying to make that happen and honestly dude I, I i just okay i'm gonna let you guys in on some of the stuff i learned as i did this 12km thing um, because I think thinking that you're going to put a short film on a festival and then you're going to get something out of that other than just screening for an audience mm -hmm. is kind of bullshit. Um, so what I ended up doing was I took 12 cam and I sent it out to a bunch of different reviewers, people that would write articles on it to try to get attention from the industry. And uh, I actually, uh, my friend Izzy wrote a review on it um, for Twitch Film, which I had never heard of. And she had basically wrote to me and said, hey, look, I'd love to, to review 12 Cam um, uh, for Twitch Film. And I'm like, well, okay. And she's like, uh, can I do it? And I said, sure. And I had already done a couple really big interviews, and I was banking on those interviews being the ones that would get the attention. Um, and so I just sent it to her, and she watched it. She loved the movie, and she wrote me like a really, really amazing review. Um, and I think that I, I can't – don't quote me on it, but I think at the end she was like, this, this movie's fantastic. This is something that Hollywood should make, et cetera, et cetera. I swear to God, man, after that review came out, I got calls all that week. I got oh, I got wow. interest from Netflix. I got interest from like a couple of different studios. Um, and then I had this guy call me up and go, I uh, noticed that you don't have uh, a manager. <laughs> and so whenever you get a phone call, especially me being a cynical prick, whenever <laughs> I get a phone call from someone that's going, hey, you need a manager. Like I picture it's some fucking yeah. guy in a polyester suit in a closet somewhere going like, yeah. you know, like putting deodorant on while he's yeah, on the fucking yeah. phone, you know? <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah, whatever, man. You know? And he's like, no, nah, man, like I, you know, I work for this great company out here in Los Angeles and um, we're interested in what you're doing with uh, 12 cam. And uh, I was like, okay, whatever. Um, but at the time, and this is a longer story, at the time I had also teamed up with my uh, writer, at the, uh, Will Simmons. And Will had come on early on. He had asked me to uh, uh, look into another film that he was working on, the potential that I was going to direct that fell mm -hmm. through. Um, and he was like, what are you doing with 12KM? I'd love to work with you on a script. So him and I sat down and we rewrote the whole feature. He did some amazing work on that film. Um, and he had connections um, with uh, different studios in LA, you know, one of them being like Platinum Dunes and like Michael Bay's company. So he was like, hey, look, <clears throat> let's uh, put everything together. Let's package this feature and then we'll, we'll take it out to my people out here in California and we'll pitch it. So I was like, okay, cool, you know. It's all really new shit to me. I had never experienced this stuff before. And so um, uh, I told the management that and they're like, why don't you come pitch it to us first? And so we ended up going out to Los Angeles, pitching it to those guys first. And halfway through the pitch, they're like, oh, my God, we can, you know, this is a great idea. We can actually help 
try to sell this for you. And that sort of opened up this adventure for me where yeah. we ended up going around and pitching the film to a bunch of different production companies. Um, and we signed with a production company that I don't know if I'm allowed to say it yet, but it's pretty cool. I wish you could say it. It is cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it yet. Um, but one of the cool things, and the reason why I'm talking about this, is one of the cool things uh, going through that process and pitching it to production companies and then a year later pitching it to studios is that I got to get in and have what they call general meetings. That manager that I had talked to on the phone, turns out, uh, was this dude, Justin Littman from the Gotham Group, who's like a big management company. Um, and he ended up signing me, which is fantastic. And then we, I also got signed by UTA um, with uh, Jeff Morley, which is fantastic. So after that, I really sort of opened up <clears throat> the world to me where I could get in and start to pitch people. And they would send me on these things called general meetings, which it's like, yeah. what the fuck is a general meeting? Mm -hmm. And you sort of go into a room, you meet with an exec from a studio, and you sort of tell them, what it is that you like to do. They talk about 12 cam because they've all seen 12 cam and then we sort of go through that process and they're like, okay, well, you know, if there's a project that comes up that, that uh, we might be interested in, send it to us or if we find something that's really great for you, we'll, we'll come and talk to you. So it's just like sort of like a meet and greet kind of thing. Um, and I got to go through and figure out like what people are looking for. You know what I mean? There are a bunch of places that I really want to work for that I just sort of went in and was like, okay, what are you guys looking for right now and what's hot on the market right now? Um, and I came back and I talked to the writer and I said, dude, what if, what if we just give ourselves an exercise and see if we can put together an idea that fits into what some of these places are looking for right yeah. now? And if, if not, then who gives a fuck? You know what I mean? Like, let's spend some time. And we did and we sat down and we spent like four days and uh, really tossed some ideas around and we came up with this new short film idea. So that's kind of where this new project comes from. And then I uh, knew immediately that we had something that was fantastic. And I'm sitting on this position where now that I have agents and management, it's like, oh, shit, like I have to make the most of this. I'm not going to sit around and wait for fucking people to call me with work. I'm just going to present them with stuff. And so we uh, quickly, I think we, we figured all this shit out in like December, wrote the script in January or uh, like mid-January, I think. And then we were shooting last month. So like it was like bam, 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 bam. Um, and it ends up being uh, one of the more interesting shoots I've ever done because it's incredibly focused. It's not like I'm making something for film festivals with the hope that it's going to go somewhere. It's not like I'm making something that's going to go online. It's actually something that will get in the hands of people hopefully in like two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a wild place to be in. And it's an, I guess the reason why I'm bringing this whole thing up is that I want a lot of the uh, young filmmakers to realize that Film festivals aren't the end-all be-all, and especially if you're doing uh, short films, most of these executives don't have time to go sit through a short film program. Mm. So whenever uh, executives from, from, play, from uh, studios or even production companies go out to film festivals, they're usually trying to cram in as many of the feature films that are happening at that mm -hmm. point in time. So they never really even get over to see shorts. Yeah. And if you're in one of those festivals where they program a short before a feature, that's the best case fucking scenario for you because that audience will be filled with whoever else is there. Mm -hmm. Like Moped Night screened in front of uh, uh, the editor, which was uh, yeah. uh, done by the guys that did Manborg. I forget the, I forget his name. I'm a fucking total piece of shit for forgetting his name. But it was really cool to screen in front of his movie. He actually, <laughs> I remember he came over to me and he was like, I had no fucking idea that your movie was screening. 
He's like, your movie's really great, and it kind of bites on our style. And I was like, oh shit! Like I was really, I was like really worried that he was going to be pissed at me. And I was like, no, dude, I didn't. Like I just made this, and they programmed it. I don't. I'm just I don't trying know to warm on. the people up. Yeah, man. I don't know what's going on. You know, I'm an opening act. I didn't mean to fuck right. with your shit. And he ended up being really cool. We ended up yeah. went out and had drinks and stuff afterwards. But um, I don't think that I I was always under the impression when I started that if I made short films and I sent short films to film festivals, then I could get access to what I need. And I, I don't think that's necessarily no. true. And everybody that I've talked to, as far as executives are concerned, they go, we watch shit online. Like we yeah. have people that that watch it online for us, mm. and and my management team literally would comb through this fucking website that I had never known about, and they would find folks, mm. and and my management are the same guys that found um uh, what's his name who did Lights Out. My fucking brain is fucked. Uh, Sandberg, so they found Sandberg the same way. They found him with his short film and then the Lights Out stuff, and and it's been the same process. And then he got Lights mm. Out. They ended up signing up with James Wan's company. He got lights out, and then that's for Warner Brothers. And then immediately he did Annabelle 2. Mm. And then immediately he got picked up to do Shazam from Warner Brothers. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was just from his shorts that he was doing and his online presence. Well, it's like you're saying, you know, a lot of relationships that are built, this is not in the festival circuit. I mean, you can rub elbows, but if <clears throat> we're talking about just getting your work in front of somebody, it's. It's a digital era we live in. You just mm. got to get it in that email or get it into a place where people can just click and go to it at their own will and then absorb that content and go from there. Because yeah. also, if you're, you're, you're thinking about these executives or these people, these managers, people you want to get in front of being at this festival and it's you're, you're inundated with so much else that it's, yeah, they get to see your film, but just sat down and I've watched three hours worth of shorts or these features and by the time I'm getting to yours I'm just sort of brain dead now I'm not really absorbing this the way that it should be properly it's almost better if you can have that ability to get it right in front of them on the laptop so they can just sit down have full focus get into that and go okay holy shit who the fuck made this yeah 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 and it's like anything else I mean it's like when you're hiring crew or if you're hiring actors um, it really helps if you have somebody else really excited about it and they are presenting it to you and so if you're going to make something online sure you can put it online and it can enter that sea of shit that we're constantly sort mm -hmm. of you know swiping through yeah. but if you actually have someone that really enjoys your work that writes great articles someone that has a reach and someone that can refer you i think that is the ultimate because then they'll get an email saying do yourself a favor you know mm -hmm. you know shut off the lights put on headphones and watch this piece mm -hmm. and that is the place that you want folks to be when they look at your work yeah, because they're they have a fan base or following that listens to them so yeah. they're mm -hmm. going to take that advice and dive in yeah 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 and so um i would say that with 12 cam i was i was very lucky um that I, that they were looking at that website at that time but it was definitely uh very focused as to like how I was going to get the movie out online, who I was going to get to review the movie, have as many people to look at the movie as possible, because at some point it's word of mouth. And most of the executives and people that I've met and the assistant executives are all my age or younger, and they're just doing the same shit we do. They go through the internet, they look at stuff, they, you know, they have their fucking Facebook feeds, they have all that stuff, and that's what they're, they're being influenced the same way that we're being influenced. Um, and to get back to the festival thing, there's nothing worse than being programmed on a shorts, on a shorts program, and then, no offense to anybody else, and, and 
but to be lined up with shitty fucking shorts. Because then you have to, especially if you're at the end, you have to sit through a, a fucking lineup of exhaustion. Yeah. And so th you, that's your sort of precursor. I don't think I'm ever going to do festival programming for shorts anymore. I think if I'm going to do something, I may pair a couple of my shorts together and just mm -hmm. do my own screenings. Because you can, at that point, m completely manipulate the experience that the yeah. audience is having. You do. I dream more. So you have, you're going to have your feature and have, have <laughs> your, your short before the feature. <laughs> like, this is the fe this is the short for the next feature that will come after this feature you're going to watch. <laughs> but, I mean, you really, at this point, you're trying to get as many eyes on your work as possible. But also sort of curate what that experience is like. Because most people have the attention spans... Of a, of a fucking puppy you know what I mean mm -hmm. like they're you're on the phone immediately yeah. if if yeah. it doesn't happen and so um, I don't know. so I figured that you guys might find that stuff interesting I was trying to uh, as I learned about this stuff I really wanted to share it with you and I, I have to be sort of cryptic about things because you know things are still being sold um, but it, it's a lot different than I thought it was yeah it's was it ever did it used to be that festivals were the yeah, the way because it's funny like to talk about how like the digital age is, you know, you're almost bypassing the festivals and like that seems second nature to me being 22, but we're still taught that festivals are like the process that you go through. So I feel like there's almost like a bit of a lag in like kind of switching over to. Yeah, I, I mean, I do. At the end of the day, like there isn't. No, this is one of the reasons why I have a problem with a lot of film schools is that f film schools like to try to structure the film business the same way that like being a doctor would be structured mm -hmm. where it's like if I study these certain things and if I if I learn these techniques and then if I go become like a an intern at the thing and then I'll just get walked right into that position and that just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I think it doesn't happen a because uh, the business is so oversaturated and there's so many fucking people that want to do it. Um, maybe that would have happened back to a certain extent back in the days of Spielberg. But we're always looking back with nostalgia going, oh, my God, these guys got in there. But when you actually hear about him breaking into Universal Studios lot and pretending to be at this, like, it's like, oh, my God, he hacked the system. And that's how he got into where yeah. he did. Um, it's never as easy as just, like, checking the boxes and going no. along and then mm -hmm. you do this. So then this happens. It, yeah. It, it's, it's almost never like that. I mean, on across the board with any position you play in this business. Yeah, I mean, they tell you, like I, I talk to actors all the time who say, "Oh, well, where did you study study acting?" Like, well, I took like went to an actors workshop for a year and a half here in Boston, but I didn't go to theater school or film school. It's just it's just something I picked up on, and it's you don't have to do it the other way either. You know, if you have a disability at something and you want to explore that, be it film, editing, post, pre, whatever the the point is, just explore that and try and find a way to educate yourself on it at all times. And you can blow right past everybody else while they're busy just trying to check the boxes because that's what they think they're supposed to do. Yep. Yep. I completely agree with you, man. And then in that period of time, and that comes back to why I say that I'm, I'm not upset that I made the decision to come back here to the city because yeah. it essentially took me out of that rat race and I had to create my own method of how to do this. And then through the process of creating my own method with everything whether it's editing or whether it's shooting or, or any of that stuff, I was coming from a completely different angle. And in that discovery, um, my style was born. Mm. And so like Gina and I were talking about this the other day. 
about style for, for photography and style for being a director. And a lot of people will sit there and go, this is their, this is their vibe. This is what their vibe is. Yeah. What most people don't realize is that you're attempting to do stuff the right way. Um, but because of where you come from, because of the limitations that you have, you end up having to repair it. And so you're doing this process of fixing it. And then in that fix, your style is born. So people are looking at it going like, ah, I love the way that you do like, like that really odd cutting, you know, and you're like, well, I had to fix some bad performance stuff, <laughs> you know, like, or like, I, I love the way that you guys have figured out, um, you know, shooting through, like, if you watch our better sound session stuff, shooting through like, uh, weird bottles and glasses and stuff like that. It's just like, well, because they didn't have the money, the room looks like shit, and I have to figure out a way to fix that. Yeah. Um, and so that ends up becoming a style. I would say necessity is the mother of invention. There it is, man. There it is. I always notice when it comes to, uh, especially you and Gina's work particularly, there's there's a, a definite beauty in the color of, of what y'all do. And I'm always at home with, uh, with my fiance and we were watching something. She was oh, that's Mike and Gina right there. That's... What was it? Um, Atomic Blonde we watched, and there's just so many really colorful shots. Oh, yeah. And she was like, "Doesn't this look like like a Mike movie?" I'm like, "It does, right?" Oh, or you yeah. could pause any moment in this movie, and this looks like it could be a Gina Manning photography. You know, it just yeah. that that color, that beauty is there, and I dig that because, like you said, you've you've developed your own style, and it's so dope to be able to watch something and pinpoint like, "Man, this feels like that." Yeah, you know? and, yeah, because. I mean, when you're younger, you're like, ah, I wonder how I'm going to be known for my stuff, and you're sort of really obsessing over it. And then over time, it just sort of does it on its own. Yeah, yeah. Which so like, don't be obsessed about that. <laughs> don't worry, you'll be you'll be labeled for some shit that you don't even want to be labeled for. <laughs> some shit you weren't aiming for. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, you're the guy for the for the blue and green thing, yeah, right? It's yeah. Like, oh, okay. Fuck you! I only had blue and green gels. Right, in my right. Head. That's all I had. That's <laughs> <what> I... <laughs> um, all right. So uh, let's get back on track here. So, so I set out to do this new proof of concept. And uh, once we had the script put together, uh, Will wrote the script, did an amazing job. Um, <clears throat> I then went through the process of going, okay, I got to make this quick. I got to get this done. And uh, whether it's stupid or not, what I tend to do is I'll go do a couple of corporate jobs, pocket all that money, continue to live a broke existence, and spend most of that money on doing these little proof of concepts. It's, to me, it's, it's better than going to Vegas and gambling because at least I know how much of it I can physically control as far as the quality is concerned and everything else. So for me, I, I, I like to gamble my, my most of my earnings <laughs> on the work that I create. Um, so it was like, okay, cool. I'm going to try to self-finance this as much as I can. Um, I reached out to a couple of the sponsors that I deal with, uh, like Puget Systems, and they, they actually stepped up and they helped me uh, with a sponsorship for this. They helped finance like half the movie, which wow. was amazing, which is really amazing. Um, and then basically the most important part for me as a director is I got to make sure that I have the team. So I reached out to uh, David Cruda, who shot 12 Cam, and him and I have worked together since. And uh, uh, I love working with him, uh, being a DP myself. I, it was really important to find a shooter that was A, better than I was, but B, could also take what my style was and then make it his own. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, him and I, we're, we're in love. You know, we sleep, you know, we sleep together. No. It's a film bromance. Yeah. You hold hands on set and uh, one um, of the shots. <laughs> so once he said he was in, then um, then I knew that uh, I could have the the film look as good, if not better, than Twelve Cam, because that's the other thing that we have to live up to. 
uh, we had walked around in and out of these different studios and, and folks would look at 12 cam and go holy shit how much did this thing cost you know and they you know just the the level of quality of the image on that film sort of put us took us out of kindergarten and put us in like high school immediately um, and I wanted to make sure that we were at that level with this new piece, if not better. So getting him on board was amazing. I also uh, teamed up with uh, Larry Sampson, amazing production designer here in Boston. Him and I have worked to together for years. He did the Meshuggah video, a bunch of my old photography pieces. We've done commercials together. Larry has the ability to take like four bucks and make like a Rolls Royce out of it. Like I don't know how he designs these things. Um, but uh, we had a lot of really cool practical effect work for this piece that he was able to pull together. Um, once I rounded him up, it was just the process of, of filling in the blanks, man. Um, and like I said, I love this city. I love the resources that are in the city. I love the fact that people here still really love to work on movies. And I think if you have a great idea and you're passionate about what your idea is, you can, you can pull together some of the most talented folks um, and together you guys can create uh, visuals that will astound uh, I'm telling you man some of the rooms I was in and people will watch 12 cam and the guessing game of what our budget was was just hysterical <laughs> so throwing around too many zeros you're like I wish it would be a totally different movie if it was that <laughs> how much did that cost yes it cost that much money right, exactly. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's right. When you write me the check for the new one, remember right. that right. that one cost that much money. <laughs> so uh, it was a process of rounding up the crew, rounding up the team. Um, and then uh, the the piece only had, uh, the, the new piece only has three talent in it, three actors in it. Um, and that's probably why I didn't ask you to act in it. Yeah. There's, only three, there's only three very specific people. Um, well, I think it's better, too, when you have um, something that simple or that... Um I'm spaced on the word here, but when, when you guys, it's such a small cast. It's it's a little feels like more of a more intimate set, um, and I think as a, for a director, it's got to be so much easier to just be able to just kind of hone in and focus and get in there and work with those actors directly because you're not trying to juggle this ensemble, yeah. this huge thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the difference between this and Twelve Cam because Twelve Cam, uh, Jesus Christ. I mean, at one point we had at least fifteen people that I was dealing with in a day at least and then you know everybody was speaking a language that I didn't speak um, so that one I, I I stressed myself out intentionally on that one and I, I learned a lot but this one here I was sort of really excited to go all right let me shoot something that's in my own language and let's uh, do something that is contained for that simple reason um, and then you know my goal was to make something that was you know 10 minutes I wanted to do something shorter just in case I had to do festival stuff with this and the, the lesson that I had learned um, with 12 cam. So, but more importantly, you know, ultimately I really don't care about festivals. It's knowing that when we send this out, uh, executives will literally only have like a short period of time to watch something. So unless it's fucking spectacular, you know, and unless I'm making something that looks like Russia and it's like this, like how the fuck did this guy pull this off? And I mean, this new piece is, is pretty traditional as far as like the location and the setting for it. Um, so yeah, Gina's in the kitchen. She's trying to be so quiet. It's you just see, you just see Gina moving back and forth. Like it's, a, it's like the quiet place too in there. Right. It's like, she's like wearing socks. And trying, not, trying not to let the fucking demon out in me. 
um so uh yeah so we put together a really great cast and uh crew from here um for this i think i could talk about the cast i actually worked with uh um gene raven again my good buddy gene if you saw 12 cam gene was uh the uh oil driller uh that was smoking cigarettes and tossing it down into the abyss asshole yeah <laughs> he was like gene i found randomly when we were doing um uh casting for 12 cam I had to try to find a bunch of uh, Russian actors that could speak the language. And luckily, Boston has like a pretty big Russian community, especially out here in like Watertown. Um, and so we did like a open casting call at the office. And I think he was just walking by because I think he was downstairs doing stuff for Boston Casting. Um, we're in the same building as Boston Casting is. I think he was downstairs and he saw the casting thing. I think he'll probably correct me on this. He saw the casting thing and then he came up and uh, I, I met him. Really cool cat, really cool dude. Um, and then uh, I liked him. He, he, he took off and I was like, yeah, let's cast him. And then it turns out that he was SAG. Mm. And so I was like, shit. And if you're a, uh, an indie filmmaker, uh, SAG, it can be kind of a pain in your ass. Um, so we, I ended up learning about the process of uh, uh, doing a, like a SAG a short film and getting all the releases for that, which in itself is a whole thing. Uh, the Boston SAG offices are very cooperative, um, and they, they've helped me out on both projects. Um, but uh, I worked with Gene, and Gene was such a great actor on his own because he had gone off and done his research, and for most of the other talent that I worked on 12 Chem, I would usually start my day with them just going like okay here's what the scene is and here's what the blocking is and here's what i'm kind of thinking and uh he came to me and went ah, can i just show you and i was like yeah you know i'm like cool man do it you know and he uh we did the take and i watched it and i was just like fuck all right that's fantastic and he's like what, what, what do you need me to change like, just make it a little faster here and do a little bit of this and just do it man yeah. Well, it's nice when you have that dynamic too. There's there's a trust that exists between the or that has to exist between the talent and the director, to where you can guide us, and because because I think at the end of the day we, we want absolutely want direction, um, but when you the trust exists there and you say oh well what feels comfortable for you, oh well I would I, this makes sense or this feels more natural here okay great let's do that and I'll make sure that we get the camera where it needs to be to find you and make this happen. Yeah. Cool. And then I was oh, okay. Well, what uh, you know? What adjustments did you, did you want to make? And then we go from there. But you have that trust that for a director, it's cool. I don't have to worry about the performance here per se because I know they're gonna do what they need to do. I'll come in and tweak some things. Yeah. And then as the actor, you're going okay. If if I'm getting lost in this moment somehow, some way, the director is absolutely gonna come in and help kind of shape me up a little bit to where I need to be. And that trust has to exist there. Otherwise, it just feels like you're just kind of pulling for things in the performance or trying to pull the things out of a performance of someone and nothing is ever lining up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good, man. And because from a director's standpoint, at least from my angle of things, I never came from any sort of acting background. Most of my stuff was, you know, I, I started as a photographer and I started as, you know, a visual guy. And I, I actually started in silent films was where I was trained. So dialogue and all that stuff was when my beginning of my career was really sort of like anxiety, like mm. it was a fucking thing. 
And it's one of those things where it, you, you're depending upon another human being to, to actually do everything. Mm-hmm. And it's not something I can't put my hand up your fucking ass and then make you do whatever it is that well, I want wouldn't you that to make do. the job easier, right? Yeah, exactly. Just puffeting everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the, the, the trick of, like, taking what you see in your head ahead of time and then translating it to uh, either an actor or translating it to a crew is the most difficult portion of, of, of being a director. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always really fascinated. I'm always really cautious about dealing with, with, uh, with actors because I, they're all human beings and everybody's a little bit different. Everybody has their own way of doing things, mm-hmm. um, and I'm still learning about it. Um, and I, I just, I knew that uh, with him when I was casting this new movie because of the confidence that he had on 12KM, because of the homework that he did on 12KM, um, he had this part, like straight up. Like there wasn't a moment where I didn't think that he had this part. And even to the point where Gene is a, you know, uh, he's he's Russian, so he has an accent. Um, and, you know, I actually just was like, fuck it, leave the accent in because he is so fucking good. And you know mm. that when you see him quiet and the camera comes in on him and he plays on those quiet moments, um, he's just got it in his eyes. Yeah. His performance definitely had a had a level to it that the, the accent is something that you just, you, you completely overlook. Yeah. Because he's so in... in in the moment, and you feel you, you're engaged with him. Yep. That you that that's not even something that crosses your mind because you're just you you feel like you're in the room there based on what he's giving you to bring you in. Yep. 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 Because you were because Lance was on set with us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once again, I have you come on set to uh, do anything but and what hold, it is that hold, you do. Hold the cardboard to, to keep the. <laughs> Keep the haze in the room. <laughs> that was where I first met you, actually. Yeah, <laughs> sneaking by. And I was like, "Oh, hey, Dave, I heard you on the podcast. Great stuff, man." <laughs> yeah, was... How's the documentary? Okay, cool. I gotta close this. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, "All right, get out, get out." I'm like, "No, you're great, Dave, but I, I, I can't let you in. Stay down here. Precious haze." <laughs> I go from being wanting to be an actor to now I'm like really entitled with who gets to go into the room on set. <laughs> you have to get past me. No. <laughs> <laughs> and this is like right after you just did some amazing. You just played Prince, right? What were yeah, you? Yeah. Um, so for the Reels Network in, uh, down in Texas, AMS, AMS Pictures, I played Prince. Uh, we did his life story, um, and I played him from his teen years up until pre- uh, not present, but until he passed. Um, and then right before that, I actually, or right after that, actually, I did uh, Equalizer Two. Uh, so I got to do work with Denzel. And then we did the Showtime pilot, uh, worked with Aldous Hodge, Kevin Bacon, uh, and then now actually working on another feature here. So Yeah, so Lance is overqualified. <laughs> but you know what it is, man? I'm going to make a podcast, overqualified. <laughs> I'm going to talk about all the jobs that I don't get. <laughs> well, dude, you know what it is? Is At the end of the day, when I put together these shoots, for me, it's really important that there are friends on set. It's, yeah. it's so fucking important. And I'd rather, even if it's like, it's it's not an ego game at all. Mm-hmm. So like, if you if you come on as a PA, you get the same level of respect, you get the same sort of input as you know the DP does. Yeah. Like, I, I try to make our sets like very communal, especially mm-hmm. at this stage where like you know no one's fucking getting paid, everybody's right. just sort of chilling. Um, you know, and this I have to say hands down, this set is the best set that I have ever mm-hmm. been on. Yeah. And it's it's not because it's my movie. It's just because of all the fucking people that wanted to be there. I mean, we did three nights, overnights. I mean, we started at, what, like five and went till five. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually got snowed in one night. Like, there was yeah. a snowstorm that snowed mm-hmm. us in. Um, 
But I mean, I take all this stuff into consideration when I'm putting together something like this. If I'm going to go back to the well again and I'm going to ask everybody to come on board and work for nothing and work for free, um, it needs to be a great experience. Yeah. And I think part of being a good, responsible, independent film director slash producer is understanding that you need to create a great experience for the people that work for you. It isn't just about getting the right kind of money, getting the right kind of resources to make the movie. It's got to be a good fucking experience. Yeah. And like, I don't know how many times I work with uh, coordinators and producers that are like, what do you want to feed tonight? You want to just get some fucking pizzas? And I'm like, do you want to eat fucking pizza? At like six six like p.m. before a fucking you know twelve hour no, fourteen hour shift, not at all, man. And like I spent most of my money on this short on fucking food because you know for me. Which kudos to y'all because the crafty was really damn good. Yeah. It it's like it's not Lance crackers and apples. Fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's important, man. And we actually got um, a friend of uh, Gina's, Maggie, who has never done craft services before, to come on, and she was like, I'm, I'm in. And so she came in to do the craft services stuff, and, and she put that together with Gina's help. And then um, we ended up getting food from my favorite places to fucking eat in the city, you know. So that way, when, when we're there, it isn't just, hey, I get to make this really cool movie and I get to be a part of this. But also we get to eat really great food. This, this is a communal thing. And it helped that the house was, like, built in the late 1800s. It was this huge, amazing fucking old house, like... Looked like a Guillermo del Toro fucking set. Yeah. So, like, we all got to wander through, like, this basically old, creepy fucking house and make a creepy movie in this thing. So, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm ne I would never compare it to something like The Shining, but it was, like, my version of what shooting The Shining would be. Yeah. Well, there's, there's this book, <clears throat> One Less Bitter Actor, and I think there, there's something in there that goes a lot along with what you're saying as far as how you bring the people together, where they talk about just finding a way to stay busy, doing something in between so you don't become this bitter person in your craft because that shit just exudes after that. And it's doing like you're saying, finding a way to humble yourself, go do the PA work, get on the set, get involved, and be around people that are doing this thing because you don't always have to be in front of the camera to still scratch the itch and feel fulfilled. Just get on the set and be involved and just watch it. Be a part of the process, like you said, with good people. And, and fall in love with it all over again from a different perspective. And not only that, there's there's so many times where we get so caught up in, <clears throat> especially as actors, where we, I have to get this big break, I have to get this role, and yeah, but man, you could get on set and learn some shit too. Yeah. You know, and then when the director, when you're, when you're hanging out between takes, when it's finally your day, and the director says, oh, oh throw, throw the 50 on, you know, okay, cool, I know we're gonna get in a little tighter here, so I know what I need to do now, but you don't, you can't learn all of that shit if you're not getting on the set or just getting around people that yes. are involved and growing from that. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And then knowing that you and I will work together, it also is its nice on my end of things knowing that you are, feel at home on a set that I do. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like it's, it's, it's just that, knowing that these people that you can depend on these people, knowing that you have an understanding, because you've, you've, you've worked as a PA on our productions a couple times, mm -hmm. you just did yeah. recently, last week, um, and you worked in like the camera department, so mm -hmm. you have an idea kind of of that stuff, which whenever I offer those things up for folks, it's never as an insult, it's just an opportunity. Do it, yeah. if he offers it, do it. <laughs> it's, it's an opportunity for you to learn about the stuff and for me to you know be able to, you know, get a, a friend in a position in which I need labor, you know, um, and it works out pretty good. All right, so uh, let me do some reads uh, for the sponsors. 
Uh, first up is our uh, my favorite sponsor, the guys that have stuck behind me for the past couple of years. Um, and they continue to help support uh, not only this podcast, but also we're a main supporter on the new film. Uh, Puget Systems. Are you looking to make that switch from PC to Mac? Are you tired of those bloated Apple prices? Go to PugetSystems.com and check out their custom PC options for video editing. Uh, literally, you can go over to the website and do sort of a pull down and uh, choose the kind of work that you do and they'll suggest um, a base package that they make for that. Um, but then these guys are completely approachable. Uh, you can actually sit down and talk to them about what it is that you specifically do and they'll build you out a custom system. Um, we have two systems that we run a nonstop at, at the McFarland and Pesci offices. They're actually running today. And the dudes from Puget built us a special uh, digital transfer station uh, for on set on this last film that Dave was on, right? You were using it. Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. And the guys uh, were actually there helping to the second day, which was really, really awesome. So they showed me all the ins and outs and everything. Nice, nice. And this is the first time that I've actually had, which I loved, this is the first time that I've actually had an edit system on set. And it was super cool. It was like in this creepy fucking house. You'd actually come off of the shoot haze and smoke in this room and then you'd walk into this other super creepy room and there bathed in like monitor light was Dave. Uh -huh. <laughs> so what were you doing? You were syncing up footage and... Uh, yeah, I was transferring everything over, throwing it into Premiere, logging everything, syncing it up. And it was cool because uh, as we really got going, um, I would be watching stuff like 10 minutes after you guys just shot it. Um, so it was like the turnaround was super quick. Uh, it was great. It was great for a lot of the crew too because they could actually stand over a shoulder and see how shots were cutting together. Um, and uh, the difference between doing that on my standard little, my little laptop that I have is that uh, we were shooting at 4K um, and so we were able to see all this stuff real time. We were actually uh, putting it through to our Azo uh, 4K monitor. Uh, that we'll talk about in a second. So we were able to see all that. And so the DP was able to come in to make sure that uh, the lighting had some sort of continuity. And then uh, most of our other team could come in and see performances and stuff. Um, so it was really cool. The dudes from Puget are, uh, I think they're gonna get into building these data transfer things. It actually came in like a little Pelican case. It was like super easy to set up. Um, so if you guys are nerds about that shit, go to PugetSystems.com. Check them out. I have nothing but amazing things to say about them. And with all the money that I saved on uh, buying my edit systems, I was able to make a movie. So go to PugetSystems.com. Okay, so next up, Rule Boston Camera. Are you looking to rent equipment for your new film? I've got a corporate job that requires better gear than the stuff that you own? Then go see the guys from Rule and they will introduce you to some of the sweetest new stuff that you can play with. Uh, they helped me out big time on uh, the new film. Um, and uh, whether it's with the renting gear and getting the new equipment or actually letting me go hang out at their brand new offices out here in Newton, actually, um, and shooting uh, special effects plates for the film. Uh, we actually went in and uh, tested out some of their brand new anamorphics that they have. I think they have the Koa anamorphics. Um, anamorphic lenses, by the way. And we went in and shot uh, all sorts of different flares that we're going to composite in post. Um, and make look cool. Not like those J.J. Abrams flares, but like cool flares that look natural flares, you know. Um, so anyway, uh, Rule Boston Camera, definitely check them out. Um, they're my favorite place to rent from. All right, Azo Monitors. So at McFarland Pesci, we just got our hands on the new Azo 
CG318 4K monitor. Uh, this thing is gorgeous. It's a self-calibrating monitor that uh, when you set it up in whatever space you're in, it sort of takes readings of, of the room and the lighting and will set the colors on your monitor to be perfect and true every time. Um, and uh, we are, I think Tony right now is actually in there coloring the new stuff from Bose and Better Sound Sessions that we shot. And if you've seen previous episodes of that, you'll see that I go fucking crazy with color on those things. They're fucking batshit. Um, and it's really important for us when we're in post to have a monitor that is accurately displaying what you at home are going to see because we can easily get off on a tirade that looks like shit. So uh, definitely if you are looking for the best of the best, Azo. Go to azo.com. Check out the new 4K monitors. Uh, thanks, guys. Um, so the last plug I'm going to do, obviously, is for McFarland and Pesci. I'm going to do a little hometown plug. Uh, go to McFarlandPesci.com to check out the latest stuff that Ian and I have been working on. Ian has been killing it with his new film, The Godfather's a Hardcore. Uh, if you guys haven't heard about this, it's this amazing piece on the band Agnostic Front, um, one of the godfathers of the hardcore music scene out of New York City. Um, and it isn't just a music doc. A lot of folks think it's just like a standard rock doc. It's actually this really touching piece on aging. And this is a really interesting look at um, artists who have created what their whole vibe is back when they were kids and teenagers and how they develop as they get older. Um, it's an amazing piece. He's been running the festival circuit with it, um, with uh, sold out screenings and standing ovations. Um, next week, if you're here in the city, and hopefully this podcast will come out quick, Dave. Um, next week, I think next Saturday on the 28th, Ian is going to be having the first screening that we have here in Boston. So if you want a free ticket, Dave, you should probably ask you. Uh, if you want a free ticket, you should probably ask you. Um, but it's screening at uh, Brattle uh, on the 28th. Uh, so check that out. Uh, follow Ian on Instagram. I think it's Ian underscore McFarland. Uh, if you want to know more about what's going on with The Godfathers of Hardcore, and go to McFarlandAndPesci.com to see all the cool shit that we've been working on. And that is the easiest place to hire me. Please hire me, because I have no fucking money right now. Thank you. Um, so I think that's it for this episode. Uh, we're going to continue this, because i got these guys here. We'll do a second episode. We'll get even further into the production on this new film, title of which I cannot tell you. I know it's fucking frustrating, but I know it's, I can, it's frustrating that I can't tell you what the title is either. So you just got to live with that. Um, so thanks for listening guys and um, maybe these will come out more frequently maybe they won't you don't fucking pay me what's it matter okay I'll see you later bye